My name's Andy, um, and I am on staff here at the Bridge Montrose. I'm the director of Gathered Life. That's my title, which basically means um, normally I actually do what Jason and Ashley do, but thankfully they were available to fill in for me because um, I'm doing this t this morning. Um, I do that, and I uh, help lead our small group ministry as well. So, um, yeah, uh, New Year, first Sunday of the year. Um, obviously, New Year brings kind of a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement about what's to come. Um, and I don't know what, what you've seen, maybe just social media or or whatever, but you know, leading up to the, the to the turn of the year and the turn of the decade, there's a lot of like these top uh, top lists, uh, you know, best movies, best songs, uh, best moments of the past year and of the past decade. And so one of those that was really relevant to me is if you're familiar with that streaming service, Spotify, music streaming service, um, they actually do this really cool thing where every, uh, at the end of the year, they will give every single user a, a customized playlist of the hundred songs that they listen to most over the past year. And I listen to a lot of music, um, and I, Spotify is like everything for music for me. And so I, I love seeing that sort of information, kind of seeing all these songs, all the different genres, artists, seeing the new artists, the old stuff, um, and, and kind of remembering how certain songs you know, were really, um, I, they were like on repeat, literally just like back to back to back at certain times of the year, certain parts of the year, uh, certain experiences. And so um, it's interesting because in my top 10, number four and number six were actually um, the same song, but the, the fourth is the original and the sixth is kind of essentially the acoustic version of that song, um, th which tells you how much I like the song, right? <laughs> and uh, the reason I was thinking of this song in particular <coughs> was because um, it, it's, it's related to the passage we're uh, looking at today, but it's, it's, it's basically a love song between two people and it's, it's about two people that are separated by, you know, some great distance. Um, and it's just so obvious in even the lyrics alone, kind of just the, the deep affection that exists there. So I want to read just a few of the lines from this song. Um, I, I'm not going to sing them. But, <laughs> but, like, a few of the lines from this song are, Trying to find a way back home to you again. I got to get back to you. I just need to know that you're safe, given that I'm miles away on the first flight back to your side. I don't care how long it takes. I know you'll be worth the wait. Um, so yeah, one, one reason I listen to this song a lot um, is just because it, it just so vividly expresses the depth of human affection in a way. Um, I, I recommend you listen to it. It's called Location Unknown. Um, but it just really expresses that affection so deeply and so profoundly, but also in a simple way as well. Um, and so similarly, the, the text we're going to be in today is, is a psalm, uh, Psalm 103. And it really is a song. It's a song that expresses a really deep affection in a very similarly poignant way. Um, and last week, d during our last Sunday of 2019, um, the theme of that whole morning was God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness in the, in the past year and God's faithfulness to come. Um, and so I, I actually read just the first six verses of the, the psalm last week. And the thing that really keyed me in was the phrase, forget not his benefits. Um, and so after this week really digging into the whole psalm, preparing for this, uh, this sermon, I learned that the, one of the biggest, really the biggest theme of this entire psalm is what's called the steadfast love of God, um, which is very synonymous in a way with the faithfulness of God. And so uh, the steadfast love of God is, if, if you're not fully aware, it's, it's, it's one of the deepest themes in the entire Old Testament. 
Um, the word hesed is the Hebrew word for, that's translated as steadfast love. It comes up again and again throughout um, the Old Testament. And it's something that David, the writer of this psalm, uh, he really experienced personally and powerfully throughout his entire life. Um, but not only that, the, the, the collective nation of Israel, God's chosen covenant people, uh, they also had experienced God's steadfast love um, in abundance over their very tumultuous history. And so, you know, what I hope that we kind of see as we dig into the text this morning is seeing that experiencing and remembering God's everlasting and immense steadfast love will, it's, it will inevitably lead us to worship, uh, to worship him with this holistic devotion. Um, so I'm gonna pray for this morning and we are going to get into it. Um, Father God, you are, you are good. Uh, we don't, we can never fully appreciate all the ways in which you are good, God. Um, but I just pray that um, this morning as, as we open your word, as you speak to us, um, God, that we would hear, uh, that we would uh, understand better just how much you love us, God, um, in spite of ourselves, uh, and just what an opportunity we have to know you and to, to respond well, God, having experienced your love. Um, so I thank you for... Um, the opportunity this morning to, to share your word um, with everyone here. God, I pray that you would uh, speak through me, um, that I would not depend on my own strength, but that your spirit would simply uh, just pour, th- pour out of me, God. Um, and so I just pray that every person here, God, that you would be uh, working in their hearts and, and, and their minds, God, that you would um, just paint a, a, a broader, more beautiful picture of who you are and how much you love us. Um, and so I thank you for this morning and uh, pray these things in the name of your son by the power of your spirit within us. Amen. So um, I mentioned that we're going to be in the book of Psalms. Uh, and so in just a very brief explanation of what the book of Psalms is, it's, it's essentially a collection of 150 songs and poems. And it's found in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible. Um, and the book of Psalms, unlike a lot of the other books, there's no singular narrative. Um, but what it really is, is it's, it's, a, it's a window uh, into the lives of several people um, and how they, they loved God um, while also experiencing life um, in, in its full scope, you know, from, from the best to the worst. Um, so uh, this psalm in particular, as I mentioned, was written by King David, um, who was a man described as a man after God's own heart, um, which is a pretty lofty description, if you ask me. Um, and if you're familiar with the Psalms, you might know that a lot of his Psalms were actually written from a place of, of really deep hopelessness, a lot of anguish, and a lot of fear um, because of a lot of the circumstances he found himself in. Um, but this Psalm that we're in this morning, is, is it, it's a hymn. It's a hymn of pure praise. Um, and it really exhibits David's deep understanding and, and great adoration for God's everlasting steadfast love. So there are four sections uh, in this psalm, and they build upon one another. So we're just going to start by looking at that first section, uh, which is David's personal reflection on his experience of God's steadfast love. Um, so we're going to start in, at the very beginning of Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Uh, the text should be on the screen, um, but if you prefer to have a hard copy there, and you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles under the chairs. Um, if, you don't have, if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take one. Um, that's our gift to you. So... Yeah, I'm going to read from Psalm 103, um, starting with verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. 
bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So the, the, the first line of this psalm, David is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, and as I was thinking on just the words in that, in that first sentence, I was thinking about how deeply personal it is uh, to bless something, anything, with your soul. You know, I, I was trying to imagine, imagine if the, the etiquette when someone sneezed was, we said, I bless you with my soul. It, it's, it sounds totally absurd, especially when you're addressing just another normal person, um, because, apart, partially because the soul is our innermost being. It's something so essential to our existence. So there's something deeply personal about this phrase, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Um, and then he immediately follows that by saying, and all that is within me, um, which really is a way of, of, of conveying this total devotion, a complete devotion of self to this task of blessing the Lord. Um, so, I, I mean, just in a logical sense, it's, it's interesting to think about what, what on earth is worthy of that total devotion, every ounce of our devotion? What makes something worthy of any devotion? So I think David is immediately communicating right from the start that the Lord is worthy of this deeply personal, all-consuming worship. Um, and and he, actually prov- he actually explains why in, in the following, th- in the verses three through five, where he starts by saying, forget not his benefits. Um, it, it, in, in, this, in verses three through five, David lists the good things that God gives. He gives forgiveness. He gives healing. He rescues us. Um, he gives us a royal identity. He provides satisfaction and renewal. And so throughout, throughout his own life, David had experienced all these blessings in some way, shape, or form. Um, and just to give a few examples, David started as a person of total, like, no consequence. He was a, a shepherd boy, the youngest of many sons, which it, it back in, in that time meant very, very low status, relatively speaking. Um, and so as, when he was a lowly shepherd, um, he was anointed by God to become king. He was literally crowned as king. Uh, and then another instance of him experiencing these benefits, um, he was kept alive by God uh, in the wilderness while he was being hunted by the king, King Saul at the time. And, and then uh, kind of most profoundly in some ways, he was still loved by God deeply despite committing adultery and, and murdering the spouse of the woman he uh, committed adultery with. And so um, it's very clear if you, as, as you learn the history of David himself that he's, he's, he's issuing this um, call to worship um, from a place of very deep, profound personal experience. Um, and again, the phrase forget not as benefits is, it was really what keyed me into this psalm from the get-go um, because I think it's so easy to forget the life-changing impact of God's love in our lives especially in the midst of hard times um, when things like despair so easily cause us to, to think otherwise, to think that God doesn't love us, that we are forgotten, that we are abandoned. And so I think the, the first like, practical takeaway from this, this first chunk of this psalm 
is, is realizing the, the importance of making a conscious effort uh, to regularly reflect on our lives, um, how God has forgiven, healed, rescued, crowned, satisfied, and renewed us. Um, especially in, in the hard times, in the midst of, of shame, in the midst of depression, in the midst of loss and grief and death. Um, that's, that's the most important time that we must regularly reflect and look back on God's love in our life, not letting our circumstances dictate what we think about God and our relationship with him. And when we do that, when we do that reflection, the natural response will be a deeply personal, all-consuming gratitude and worship um, that we see expressed just in the first two verses alone. Um, the, and and the, this, the, this language of deeply personal, all-consuming reminded me of my favorite verse in scripture, which is Romans 12:1, where the apostle Paul is writing to the church and he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So I, I really do think that the, the worship that David is, is calling himself into is, is the same worship that Paul is talking about. It's all-consuming. It's deeply personal. It's every waking moment in a way. Um, and so I think that, that's the first really practical takeaway from this, uh, this first section of Psalm 103. So the next section um, is verses 6 through 14. And um, the first section was a personal reflection but now this second section is a communal reflection that David is trying to lead um, with the same desired response of, of gratitude and worship. So I'm gonna read verses six through 14. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So one thing to notice is um, he goes from using the, the pr one thing that keys us into the fact that this is no longer a personal thing but a communal reflection is that David stops using you in reference to himself and he starts using us. Um, and so it, it's, it, he's addressing the people of God, Israel, collectively here. And <clears throat> verse seven specifically is, a, is kind of, uh, is, is stimulating a recollection of how God powerfully worked in the lives of his people as a whole. Um, if you're not familiar with it, um, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, we see God freeing his people from 400 years of slavery. Um, and he does it through this series of supernatural displays of power over nature, which you are better known as the, as the, the ten plagues. Um, so it's after freeing them that God tried to lead his people um, into, a, into a permanent homeland, a promised land. But as he was trying to do that, they were repeatedly doubting and disobeying and dishonoring him pretty much at every turn. And so really, 
what we, all the things that we see in this section of the psalm, it's focusing not on the glory of God in the supernatural miracles, but really um, much more so on the ways in which God was just absurdly forgiving and patient with a freed people that responded with rebellion. And I think one of the most common perceptions of God is that the God of the Old Testament, he's this essentially a vindictive tyrant. Um, But here in the Old Testament, David is really thoroughly disproving that notion. Um, And I think verse eight is really the anchor and the start of him doing that. Uh, Verse eight says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So God, he has the ability to smite the whole lot of them and more than enough justification to do it because of their constant rebellion and lack of gratitude. But if we look at verse nine and 10, we see he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So we, it's so clear here that David is saying God is not a vindictive God. He's not transactional and he's not perpetually angry the way a lot of people think he is. He, he, he is a just God and he will deal with all sin accordingly. But if we read verse 11 and 13, we see um, something bigger. Starting at verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So you may, this, this, this might be easily overlooked, but you may have noticed that those who fear him is used twice as a qualifier of God's steadfast love and compassion Um, if you look at verses eight and 11. And we actually learned a little bit about the fear of the Lord when we covered uh, the book of Malachi, the Old Testament prophet Malachi, back in November. And just to summarize, fear of the Lord is not the feeling of horror that serial killers or genocidal dictators evoke. It's it's an awe and reverence that leads us to worship and obedience. Um, and, and, And fear of the Lord is this natural response when we experience God's immensity, his power, and his goodness. And in, do, in experiencing that, we gain an understa- a better understanding of ourselves and really how small and finite we are. I would say in general, fear is an unhealthy thing to, to, to be dictated by, but specifically fear of the Lord is very healthy for us because it keeps us grounded. It, it reminds us who God is and thereby who we are. And really in that, realizing how important it is for us to have this living relationship with him. So David emphasizes those who fear him as a qualifier of God's steadfast love to remind God's people that fearing the Lord is an essential part of their very identity as eternal recipients of God's steadfast love. So if fear of the Lord is indicated by reverence and devotion and obedience to God, Honestly, Israel expressed it very infrequently. Um, They were so inconsistent in their fear of the Lord, in part because they failed to constantly reflect 
on who God is and what he had done for them. They, instead, they repeatedly succumbed to the lie that choosing immediate gratification and the easiest way out were better than God's plan. Uh, the older generations of Israel, they failed to constantly remind and teach the younger generations about God's love for them in spite of their sinfulness after being freed. And so, because of this, the same sins were repeated generation after generation after generation. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, it's kind of like, how come you guys aren't learning your lesson? It's frustrating, but it's, it's, it's real. It's real, and that's what we experience too, is we forget so easily. So, in, in this section of the hymn especially, David is, is trying to combat that sort of generational forgetfulness. Um, by inviting God's people to recall God's extravagant grace and mercy for their repeated systemic sins, David was seeking to refresh and deepen their fear of the Lord. And I, I think it's important to realize that fear of God isn't just this one-time revelation or, or, or act. Um, it's this ongoing posture of our hearts, and it really requires a constant cultivation And so, as I kind of alluded to, if we're honest with ourselves, we all struggle to consistently fear God, just like Israel. We often forget who he is and what he's done in our own individual lives, and on a grander scale, in the life of the global church. I think a big reason for our inconsistent fear and our repeated forgetfulness is our our failure to proactively learn about our past sin as the collective church. Um, just as examples, the, the cycles of, of racism, sexism, abuse, ignorance, and hatred that, that did and honestly still plague the church, those can only be stopped when we humbly reflect on them. When we reflect on the things we are ashamed to acknowledge, we gain a broader and richer understanding of God's extravagant love and forgiveness. In doing that, our, 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 our fear of the Lord will be cultivated, it'll be sustained like a well-watered plant. And you know, bringing up, bringing up these really deep-rooted, ugly sins, it can very easily be a source of shame, a reason for us to feel ashamed. But it shouldn't be. If we look at verse 10 and 12, what does, what does David say? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. In verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So that should be a source of hope, of confidence, that even though we are guilty of these things, these terrible things, he does not hold them against us. Um, And I think that's where verse 14, the last verse of this chapter is really important. It says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust which in some ways is a very frustrating thing to realize is how weak we are, how temporary we are. But it's comforting to know that God knows that. He understands that. He knows that we cannot be perfect. He's not expecting us to be perfect. Um, He loves us and he forgives us in spite of our inevitable forgetfulness and rebellion because, because he knows that. He knows that we are made of dust. And so I think from this, this second chunk of the psalm, our, our invitation and opportunity um, is to continually reflect on our collective history as the, the big C church um, 
and in that we learn how to end these cycles of, of sin, the generational sins. Um, and I think as a result of doing that, we will gain a, a, a deeper, newer understanding of God's steadfast love, how it manifests in forgiveness and mercy and grace. And out of that, our natural response will be a fear and a, and a wholehearted worship. So um, this third section, <coughs> excuse me, uh, this third section of Psalm 103 is, is verses 15 to 19. Um, and really, David kind of gets down to brass tacks at this point. He, he gives this stark comparison of human nature to God's nature. Um, and it really, I think, reinforces in awe and gratitude for God's steadfast love. So I'm gonna read verses 15 to 19. <coughs> As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So these metaphors of, of grass and flowers, they underscore how fleeting uh, we are. And I think I w- this kind of imme- these metaphors immediately reminded me actually of the words of his son, King Solomon, um, his successor, um, who was described as someone who, who God gave a, a profound level of wisdom. And so the book of Ecclesiastes, where, where Solomon is, is connected to, um, I wanted to read uh, just a few verses. Um, they should be on the screen. Don't feel the need to turn there. Um, but verses three and four of chapter one says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And then jumping down to verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And so, you know, David and, and Solomon, they, they had this understanding that we are so temporary, that we are so fleeting. But then David gives the contrast. He, if we look at verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. So at this point, he's kind of getting redundant. He's repeating the fact that God's steadfast love is upon those who fear him. And he elaborates in a way by specifying from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, Because steadfast and everlasting are very similar concepts. Steadfastness is a perpetual consistency and everlasting alludes to eternality. Um, And I would, I would, I would argue that everlasting can't really be used appropriately to describe much, especially nowadays. Um, you know, with 24-hour news cycles and Amazon Prime and, and different memes every other week, um, there's, there's so much that provides instantaneous gratification, but ultimately leaves us wanting uh, more so soon afterwards. Um, and so I really think in our world today, there are so few things that have any sort of enduring value or power. Um, and in, that, in light of that, I think that's when we can see that God's everlasting love is one of his most transcendent traits. 
compared to God, our, our own affections toward one another, towards the things that we have in our lives, and especially towards God himself, um, our affections are so fickle and fleeting. And the, another frustrating thing is, honestly, we're always going to struggle with that. Um, sorry, I guess I did not put do not disturb on my tablet. <laughs> but yeah, it's frustrating, but in some, in some ways we have to accept that we're always gonna struggle with that in this life. Um, we're gonna struggle to keep his covenant and do his commandments. Our fear will wane whenever we forget to remember God's steadfast love um, and when other things begin to occupy our affections. And you know, I think we're all familiar in some way, shape, or form with the constant feelings of shame and inadequacy that come with this sort of constant failure and forgetfulness. I mean, I know that that's been a, a large chunk of my life, having grown up in the church, is constantly feeling guilty about, you know, what have I done? Why can't I do better? But praise God, because he offers a remedy to that shame and anxiety, and that's his everlasting love. It's when we galvanize ourselves and when we galvanize one another um, to, to hear and remember the truth of his everlasting love, that the lies that say we are unlovable and unredeemable, those lies lose their power. That's, that's the power of God's truth. So verse 19, in a way, is a really beautiful way of wrapping up this, this section and this theme. Um, it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So what, what, what David is conveying here is that God reigns over everything, and that includes our sin. He, he is not overcome, he is not defeated, uh, he is not unmotivated by the fact that we are sinful. Um, and really, our sin is powerless in light of his steadfast love that was fully realized in Jesus on the cross. And so I think the, the takeaway for us from this, this third section is in the times when it is hardest to remember his love, the times when we're, we're racked with, with shame and, and guilt and anxiety, we have to lean on his word, on psalms like this. We have to lean on his spirit residing within us. And we have to lean on one another, our fellow brothers and sisters, uh, to, to remind us that his love overcomes our weakness and our shame. So, we're, we're wrapping this up into the fourth and final section of this psalm. And I think I, I love the fact that David ends this hymn the same way that he started it. And that's with a call to bless the Lord. Um, in the last three verses, David says bless the Lord four times. And so, but now it's not personal like the way he started he's inviting all of creation into worship. So I want you to listen for that um, as I read the last few verses of this psalm. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So what we see here is David is calling on the angels and God's ministers and every creature and creation in the universe. Um, and, he, and what is the reason for everything in the universe to worship just one being, God? And really, if we reflect on what we've covered so far, David's given ample reason for that. 
individually, God forgives, he heals, he rescues, he crowns us, he satisfies us and renews us. Collectively, God gives justice to us when we're oppressed, and when we are forgetful and faithless, he is merciful and forgiving, gracious and compassionate. And finally, unlike us, God's love is everlasting, and he reigns supreme over everything. Nothing has power over him. All of those things are undeserved blessings, and they are expressions of his steadfast love. It's not something we can earn or, or uh, unearn. It's something that he gives because that's who he is. And so, you know, on, on the understanding that this is the, the turn of a, of a new year, a new decade, um, I really do think that there's an opportunity for all of us to reflect on the past year, the past decade, our entire lives, um, to, to think about how we have experienced the steadfast love of God. You know, maybe in moments of abundance and celebration with, you know, kids being born, new jobs, what have you. But, you know, maybe it's in the, in the hardest, darkest times, you know, in the, in the midst of, of just uh, paralyzing anxiety and depression and loss and grief. And, you know, hopefully it's also in the places between. We see the small blessings in our lives, every blessing being a manifestation of his steadfast love. Um, and I think as we reflect on God's steadfast love in our past, our hearts will be filled with gratitude and worship to God for every good thing. Um, you know, you might, you might be here and you might not identify as someone that has experienced these benefits, someone that fears God. Um, but if that at all sounds like appealing to you, which I hope it does, I mean, I think it sounds appealing to anybody, is, is you can start experiencing those things when you put your lot in with Jesus, when you put your faith in him as your savior. Um, because through Jesus, we see the realization of all these benefits that David listed. Through Jesus, sin is forgiven. Our brokenness is healed. We are rescued from the clutches of death itself. We are made co-heirs in the kingdom of God. We are satisfied by him in this life, and we are daily renewed in the midst of our sin and our forgetfulness. So my, my prayer has been that as we start this new year, that we would be collectively resolved and individually resolved to, to reflect regularly, to remember regularly on how God has lavished his steadfast love on us already. Um, because there are gonna be days, there's gonna be weeks, maybe even months, where where we are just overcome with frustration and hopelessness and anxiety and grief. And those things always threaten to, to make us forget. They, make, they threaten to make us forget how deeply and steadfastly God does love us. But praise God that he has given us a weapon, a weapon to combat those lies of the enemy. Um, so let us take, let's take full advantage of it. And I really do believe that when we do that, we, like David, um, uh, in, in our forgetful and selfish waywardness, we will turn uh, to, to grateful, joy-filled, all-consuming worship of the Lord. So I wanna pray just by reading this whole psalm, top to bottom. Um, so please bow your heads. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, 
who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Um, Father God, we just thank you that your steadfast love is steadfast. It, it knows no end. It is unconditional. It is deep and it is wide. God, we do not deserve any love like that, but you are who you are. You are love, God, and I pray that um, you would help us day by day um, in, the, in this year to come, in the decade to come, that you would help us remember um, how faithful and how loving you are to us when we are so forgetful, God, we are so faithless. Um, God, I pray that we would help each other do that, that we would learn together, that we would support one another as you have called us to. God, help us remember just how true it is that you love us. God, especially in the times when we are most prone to forget, we are most, when we are most prone to despair, God, remind us that you are a God of steadfast love. God, and, and help us, help us in our response to you that our fear of you would grow, our reverence, our obedience, our awe, our devotion. God, I pray that you help us grow in that. Um, so I just thank you for the opportunity to, to hear your word, um, to, to be refreshed and renewed by it. God, I pray that you would help us um, just proactively cultivate our love for you, God, that you would be there with us. And so, I just thank you for this time and this opportunity. Um, and pray these things in the name of your son by the power of your spirit within us. Amen.